This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word, Lord, to to move into the portion of the service where we open up the text of Scripture, Lord, and we study and we learn and understand. Father, I pray that for the next little while you would keep us focused on the things you have us to see. You would speak to our hearts directly, Father. And then I pray, Lord, through through the teaching of the text of Scripture, Lord, that you would help us to be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever seen one of these? A few of you, yeah. What is it? Yeah, VCR. Now we laugh because VCRs aren't around a whole lot anymore, are they? In fact, I'm not sure you can actually buy a VCR anywhere, a new one. I I may be wrong, but I certainly haven't seen them in a number of years. Pawn shop, other than a pawn shop, yeah, I don't know if anybody's making them new anymore. They've been replaced by, what, DVD players? DVD players are being replaced by Blu-ray players. Everything's being replaced by online streaming media, right? So it's hard to find these anymore. But, huh? (laughs) Jerry and Carol Bray still use a VCR. Very Very few people do. When I was a kid, we moved to LaGrange in the early 1980s. In the early 1980s, if you were in LaGrange or remember anything about LaGrange, there was, a, there was a store called Lynch's right downtown. Yeah, right. And in LaGrange, that was one of the few places, maybe the only place you could buy electronics. And so we moved to LaGrange in the early 1980s, and my parents decided that they wanted to buy a VCR. So we buy a VCR. And I didn't understand it at the time, but in talking to my mom, I talked to her this week and I asked her the question. I said, Mom, how much did we pay for that VCR back in the early 80s? She said, I don't remember exactly, but it was somewhere around $700. <laughs> now, if you, if you had a VCR in the early 1980s, you, you understood, especially if you lived in LaGrange, you, you're going to appreciate what I'm about to say because we, we, would, we would, you know, we bought the VCR and we, we took it home and we'd want to watch movies on it, right? But there, were, there weren't video stores. There wasn't video warehouse or certainly what Netflix. There was no red boxes, believe it or not, kids, no red boxes. We, were, we, we looked at the red box last night and couldn't find anything we wanted. Well, on the way home, Jonah said, he's just talking in the back. He said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a red box at our house? <laughs> yes, son, it would be cool if we had a red box at our house. But we don't. And when I was growing up, we didn't have videos at all. So we'd go to Lynch's. And if you remember, Lynch's had these brown boxes with the movies. Do you remember the brown boxes? Just these ugly, I'm just like so exciting to look at a wall full of brown boxes. Which one are we going to choose? So exciting. We'd look at the titles and... We'd pick a movie out and we'd go home and we'd watch that movie and we'd get so excited about watching the movie from Lynch's on our brand new $700 VCR. But here's the problem with stuff like this. It wears out, doesn't it? What was really cool in 1983 was less cool in 1993 
was not cool at all in 2003. And by 2013, they won't even exist except for in maybe some pawn shop or some relic somewhere that very few people ever use. See, we don't have the same things that, except for Jerry and Carol. That's right. We don't have the things we used to have because they, they get old, right? But, but here's the problem in the society we live in. So many people take pleasure and find happiness and find contentment in stuff. We find contentment in the things of the world. And so, so here's what our society looks like. And by the way, this is, this is the American way. You understand that, right? It's actually written into the Declaration of Independence. You may not know this. We're endowed by our Creator, it says, with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. We've got to be happy, right? In order to be happy, we need stuff. And so here's the way our world looks today. If you get tired of your old stuff, even though it may be working fine, even though there may not be anything wrong with it, you just buy new stuff, right? If you get tired of your clothing, even though it still fits, even though it's still in good repair, maybe it's a little out of style, and so you just do what? You buy new clothes. You get tired of your car, even though it drives you where you want to go and it takes you to the places you need to get and it still works fine but you get tired of that old car so what do you do you buy a new one see our answer oftentimes in the society that we live in is to find our contentment in new things and we think if it's just not something we like anymore we'll just buy something new to fix it here's the problem with that mindset it's not what the scripture teaches <laughs> in fact philippians 4 says this paul says i have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances. Paul said, you, you, you really don't need nice stuff. You really don't need good circumstances. In fact, it doesn't really matter what your life looks like, regardless of the circumstances and the situation and the stuff you find yourself surrounded by, good or bad, you should be able to find contentment. But here's the real world that we live in. We're going to spend the next week thinking about Thanksgiving and preparing for Christmas. And here in just a few days, we're going to sit around a table full of food, right? And we're going to eat till our little hearts are content. We're going to eat turkey and ham and whatever the tradition is for your family. You're going to eat. You're going to spend time with your family. You're going to spend time with your friends. You're going to have a week off of work. You're going to do all that surrounded by all kind of stuff and a house and cars and, and things that the rest of the world can't even fathom. And yet, for some reason... Even within the church, people are not content. They're unhappy with their circumstances. They're unhappy with their jobs. They're unhappy with life. And so what do they do? They look for the next best thing. And the problem that we continue to see, generation after generation after generation, it seems worse than it ever has today, at least in my opinion, is that we seek to find pleasure and contentment in the things of life, and we wonder why we never feel satisfied. And so the question I want to ask this morning is this. Can we find true contentment in our lives? And if so, where? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, finding contentment. Now let me remind you as we're flipping to Philippians chapter 4 that Philippians was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. Now Paul ended up writing a large portion of the New Testament but the interesting thing about Paul is that Paul was born a Jew 
He was steeped in Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee, and he made it his life's goal to persecute Christians. That's just what Paul did. And so Paul literally traveled from city to city looking for Christians, and when he found them, he would persecute them, he would torture them, he would put them in prison. Sometimes he would even kill them. But in a very strange twist of events, Paul is on his way one day to Damascus to persecute Christians, and the Lord speaks to Paul. And the Lord does an incredible work in Paul's life. Paul accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And from that moment on, Paul begins to preach the Word of God. Paul begins to teach. Paul begins to share Christ with other people. And he goes on missionary journeys. We talked about that last summer. And so we see this picture of Paul who was a persecutor of believers. But through the power of Jesus Christ in his life, everything's changed. Now when everything changed for Paul, his life kind of got difficult. Because he's wealthy and successful and powerful before Christ. Once he accepts Christ in his life, we read the accounts of Paul telling the gospel to the people that are lost. And he's beaten. And then he's stoned. And he's left for dead. And he's shipwrecked. And he's arrested. And on and on and on the list goes. So if there's anybody that can help us understand contentment. If there's anybody that can explain to us where we can find contentment in all circumstances of life, it's Paul. So having that mindset, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 4, beginning this morning in verse 10. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned but had no opportunity to show it. Now let me tell you what's going on right here. The church at Philippi had sent Paul some sort of a gift. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what. Some sort of a gift to help Paul in his ministry. And Paul says, I rejoice that you've renewed your concern. Thank you for sending me this gift. That's what Paul says. Now look at verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not not thanking you because I'm in need. Now I want you to understand that, church at Philippi. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For, listen to what Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now there are three things in these next few verses that I want you to understand about contentment. There are three areas of your life or three ways in which I think you can find true contentment. They're found all in these few passages in Philippians chapter 4. And the first point I want to make this morning that Paul makes in Philippians 4.10 is that number one, contentment is a process. That's very important for you to understand. Very rarely do you wake up one morning and you're just content when the morning before you weren't. I doubt if anybody will leave this sanctuary this morning who is discontent before and you'll leave and you'll walk out of the door and you'll say, I'm content. (laughs) Just like that. See, Paul doesn't say that contentment is easy, but he does say that there's a process by which we can attain it. It's learned. Charles Spurgeon, pastor in London in the mid-1800s, very famous pastor, said this. He said, contentment is one of the rarest, but one of the most desirable accomplishments. And you say, no, 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 wait a minute, Adam. Now, contentment is a process. I get that. But we live in a world full of stuff, right? We live in America, Adam. We live in a place where we can have anything we want and opportunities galore and, and, and food that we can eat and all sorts of things that we can do to, to make us content. But you're telling me, Adam, that it's difficult to find contentment. You're telling me that it's difficult to, to, to find true happiness. Why, why is that the case? Why is it so hard in the context in which we live to find contentment? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to explain it in just a second because most of you are not going to believe it when I say it. The reason it's so hard to find contentment 
It's because everywhere we look, someone's trying to convince us to not be content. Everywhere we look, somebody's trying to convince us not to be content. You say, I, yeah, I don't know, Adam. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who says to me, you shouldn't be content. Well, let me, let me remind you of something. Every time you, you turn on the television... Every time you turn on the radio, every time you open the newspaper, every time you open a magazine or read something, there are advertisements. People spend, I want you to watch this now. Advertisers spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to try to convince you that the stuff you have isn't good enough. That's what they do. That's their job. And so here's what a commercial will look like. The commercial will say something like this. You shouldn't be content with the way you look. You shouldn't be content with your weight or your physique or whatever. You need to instead buy our program. If you'll pay this money and you'll get our program, you'll sign up for these pills or this certain kind of exercise or this DVD, then you'll be content if you'll just pay us the money to show you how. Or, or you shouldn't be content eating at home. That food that you've got in your refrigerator and your pantry, that, oh, that food's not good enough. What you need to do instead to find true contentment is eat out. And you need to eat at our restaurant. We'll make you content. You don't need to be happy with that shirt that you're wearing. Even though it may still fit and it still looks good, you need a new shirt. You need to come to our store to buy it. Your car may be running just fine. It may get you to work and back. It may get you to home and back. It may get you everywhere you're going. But you don't need to be content with that car. You need to buy a new car. We'll sell you one. It'll make you content. You see, everywhere we look, somebody's trying to convince us that we shouldn't be content. Now, here's what you're never going to hear in a commercial. You ready? You're never going to hear this. You don't need any of our stuff because your stuff is good enough. Don't, don't come to our store. You've already got it at home. Why do you need to come in here and waste your time? You don't need to eat our food. You've got food in the pantry. You don't need a new car. You've got one in your driveway. You don't need a new shirt. You've got something hanging up in your closet. I mean, I, 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 I say this, and I think I used the example in the last... In the last, uh, at 9.30, the other service. How many shirts have I personally thrown out because I just got tired of wearing them? Right? They still fit? I mean, none of my clothes are real stylish, so one is they weren't in style, but I, you know what, let's just get rid of it. I don't want this one anymore. Let's get this one. I need something new, right? Everywhere we look, we see that society tries to convince us that we shouldn't be content with what we have. See, here's the problem we run into as we begin to buy into this. As we, begin to buy, as we begin to buy into this lie, here's the problem we have. In our brains, we confuse our wants and our needs. Right? We, we, we see things that are wants, things that we desire to have, and we begin to convince ourselves that that's really a need. We really need that. And so it, it looks something like this in our lives. I need food in order to survive, right? You do too. But what I want is a steak at Longhorn. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. I need water to hydrate myself, but what I want is a Coke because it's cool and it tastes good. I was, I was doing some work in our house this weekend. I was changing some faucets, and I joked with the other services that any time I do plumbing work, the first two tools that I have to have are a big pile of towels, that's number one, and containers that will hold water, that's number two. That's what I always say. So I've got these towels, and they're laying all out, and there's water dripping, you know, and I'm laid up under the sink. And my lovely wife comes, and she says, would you like something to drink? Yes, I like something. I mean, water's pouring on my head. I guess I could drink some of that. But no, I don't want water, honey. You know what I want? If I can just get a Coke. Oh. 
oh, if I can just get a Coke, I'll be satisfied because that's, that's what I really need, right? You know, we don't, we don't, we, we don't need, we, we need clothing to, to wear and to, to keep us warm and, and to keep us dry, but what we want is the latest clothing, right? We need transportation, but what we want is the, the newest truck or the, or the newest car. And here's the problem. We, have, we, we begin to blur the lines somewhere in our, in our brain. And we think the things that, that, that we need or the things that we want are actually things that we need and, and vice versa. We don't understand. We don't, we don't see very clearly. But see, here, here's the problem now. Here's the problem. Watch this. As we blur these things in our brain... As we have more and more of a problem understanding and, and differentiating between our needs and our wants, here's what happens. The things that God has given us and blessed us with just aren't good enough anymore, are they? God, I know you've given me all these things and you've provided me in such an incredible way, but Lord, it's not good enough anymore. <laughs> I need something new, Lord. I know it all still works and it all still fits and it all still does what it's supposed to do, but I don't like it anymore. I'm just tired of it. I need something new. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm, what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying to you, you should go out and throw everything out and live in a tent and walk to work on a whatever, drive a bicycle. I'm not saying those things to you, but here's what I am saying. The danger in the world we live in is that we begin to find our contentment in the things of the world and not in the things of Christ. That's the danger. And as we blur our needs and our wants and we buy more and more into the discontentment of the advertisers that come into our brain, into our household... As we buy into those things more and more, we, we, we believe and we begin to believe more and more we can find contentment in the VCRs of the world or the Blu-rays or, or the new cars or the new shirts. You say, Adam, I, you know, that's a pretty... I, I get that, but what am I supposed to do, right? And we've got all this stuff. You want me to go out and sell it all? I'm not saying that to you, but here's what I am saying. Understanding that contentment is a process, maybe you need to start walking down that road a little bit more. Maybe you need to make some real decisions in your life that will lead you more toward contentment. So, so maybe it looks something like this. At Christmas, you say, you know what? Instead of buying all this stuff, instead of buying all these presents for our family or for our kids, maybe we're going to give that money away. You guys are probably like Amy and I. We have a conversation every year about this time about how much do we want to spend. How much do we want to buy? And you're like me with my kids or your grandkids. You love them. You want to buy all kinds of stuff for them. they got a list a mile long. You'd love to buy all of it for them. But at what point do we say, you know, we, we don't really need stuff. We don't need stuff to make us happy. You, you, you know that you've got too much stuff at Christmas. When you give your kid a toy, right, they play with it for a few weeks and they forget about it and you're able to put it in the attic and then you're able to take it down next year, re-gift it, and they forgot they ever got it. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Look, you want to save some money on Christmas, I'm telling you, f- 1st of February... Take all those new toys, hide them in a box somewhere in the attic. Act like you don't know where they are. Next Christmas, bring them back down, rewrap them, they'll forget they ever had them. Oh, thank you for that. We, we gave a slide away, I'm telling you, three or four years in a row. There's different kids sometimes and they forget. And... But it's, you know, it's, it's a way to save money. It's a way to do Christmas. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. I'm kind of proud of that, actually. That's something, you know. But contentment is a process, and we, we need to begin somewhere, right? We need to begin somewhere. Ray Stedman divide, uh, defined contentment like this. I think it's a great definition of contentment. Here's what he says. He says, contentment is only wanting what you already have. That's a great definition of contentment. If you can only want what you have, you'll always be content. But see, Paul, Paul takes it a step farther. Paul says, contentment is a process, but look again at verse 11. Bring, bring verse 11 up if we could, please. Philippians 4.11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I have learned to be content. There's the process. 
I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So, so we see, first of all, there's a process to contentment. But the second thing we see is that contentment can be found in every circumstance. That's hard for us to believe sometimes, isn't it? Contentment can be found in every circumstance. Now, Paul says, you know, I, I've, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And then verse 12, he, he gives us some specifics. So he, he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I, I've figured out in every situation how to be content. And Paul does something interesting here. He, he gives us these, these both ends of the spectrum here. He says, I know what it is to be hungry and I know what it is to be well-fed. I know what it is to have everything, to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in want and not have enough. And you say, it's, it's interesting that Paul would do that because we, we understand this idea of contentment when we have a lot of good things. But it's hard for us to understand sometimes contentment when, when we don't have things. Why is Paul giving us both ends of the spectrum here? Why is Paul showing us very clearly all this stuff and giving us all these things in between? Because Paul understands that it's very easy for us to begin to find contentment in the things of the world. That's what he understands. He knows that's a part of human nature. He knows that's kind of where we end up. And so he says, you know what? It's not about what you have. It's not about what you don't have. It's not about being hungry. It's not about being well-fed. It doesn't matter where on that spectrum you find yourself. You can find contentment. So I did some research this week. I started Googling the word contentment. There's a lot of interesting things out there about contentment. There are a lot of people that have done studies on contentment. Where do you find it? How do you get it? And I found this study by the Mayo Clinic. I thought, that's, a, that's an interesting, uh, reputable place. I'll read it. And so I'm going to quote from this clinic from the Mayo study. Here's what they discovered in their study of contentment. Only 10% or so of the variation in people's reports of happiness can be explained by differences in their circumstances. Let me read that again. Only 10% of the variation in people's reports of happiness, that's the idea of contentment, can be explained by the differences in their circumstances. In other words, very few people find contentment in their circumstances. It appears that the bulk of what determines happiness is due to personality and, more importantly, thoughts and behaviors that can be changed. That's what Paul said. Paul said it's not about finding happiness in your circumstances, it's about understanding that contentment is a process and that you can ultimately find contentment regardless of your circumstances. I'm, re I'm reminded as, as, we, as we read Philippians 4, we're down in verse 10, 11, 12 in that range. But if you were to look back at Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Paul has already said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, now watch this, the peace of God, that's the idea of contentment, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says there is a process. Contentment can be found. And so we begin to ask ourselves a question. Okay, great. Okay, good. I, I got it. I'm, I'm tracking with you. I get that contentment is a process. I get that. Okay, there's a process to get to that point. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and necessarily be content. I'm not going to walk out of here and necessarily be content. There's a process I also understand from the teaching of Scripture that I can be content no matter my circumstances. I get that, Adam, but here's the question I have. How does that actually happen? I mean, where, where does that come from? Well, Paul uses a very interesting word in verse 12. Stephen, bring up verse 12 if you would for me, please. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the what? 
Secret, secret. I feel like there needs to be an echo. Secret, secret, secret. There's something, there's something really cool about secrets, right? Whoa, we, we want to know secrets. We, we want to know what the secret is. Now, I have four children. If I ever want to drive three of my four children crazy, I go into the room where they're all sitting, and I start looking at three of them, and I start walking towards one of them. I'm just looking at them. I'm looking, I'm just looking at them. I walk over to the fourth one, and I go, What, Dad? Did you tell her a secret? Would you, would you tell me? Oh, Dad, please tell me a secret. Now, we laugh. We allow those crazy kids, but let somebody walk into your Sunday school class and look at you like this and walk over to somebody else. What, what, are, they, what are they saying? What, what are they saying? Right, we say it's rude to tell secrets. You know why? Because we're nosy. It's got nothing to do with manners. We just want to know what that person is. There's just something about it. We, we got to know a secret. And so I started looking about all the, the books available on certain secrets. There's books out there you can read on secrets. Did you know that there's a book on the secret to losing weight? Did you know that? There's a secret to losing weight. There's a secret to making money. Were you aware of that? There's a secret to making money. There's a secret to a lasting marriage. It's all in a book. You can buy a book that explains apparently what that secret is. There's a secret to self-control. There's a secret to confidence. On and on and on and on we go. There's a secret. Paul says right here, I've learned the secret, secret, secret. Okay, Paul, great, 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 great. Okay, you're explaining to us that there's a secret. Now you've got to tell us what it is. What is the secret, Paul? Well, he gives it to us. Look at verse 13. Here's the secret. You ready? Paul says, I've learned to be content in all situations. Verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4, he says this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So watch this. We've seen contentment is a process, number one. Number two, contentment can be found in all circumstances. And then number three, Paul says, contentment can only be found through Christ. Contentment can only be found through Christ. Now, I'm going to read your mind right now. Here's what you're thinking. Oh, I sat here for 30 minutes to get to that. I knew that. Adam, you didn't have to preach a sermon on that. I could have told you if you'd asked me before the sermon, what is true contentment? I would have said, well, it's only found in Christ. You can only find it in Jesus. But here's the problem. For so many people in our world, what you just said you knew, you're not applying to your lives. You understand what I'm saying? You can say it all you want to. Yeah, contentment is from Christ. Are we actually applying that to our lives? Are we truly finding contentment in the things of Christ or are we finding contentment in the VCRs of the world? Because it's easy to say it's extremely difficult to do. One commentator said it like this. He says, biblical contentment is only produced by the empowerment of God. See, it's only when we actually begin to seek contentment in Christ that we're really going to find it. You understand that? It's not enough just to say that we should be content in Christ. But we need to actually take steps to find our contentment in Him. It's amazing to me when I have the opportunity to counsel with people that are struggling, and people struggle with all sorts of issues but when I talk to people that are having marital issues, oftentimes as I think through it with them and I kind of boil it down, here's what, here's what I find with so many people. The problem in a relationship has a lot less to do with the spouse and a lot more to do with your relationship to Christ. That's usually the problem. It's her fault, it's his fault, it's her fault. It's, well, you know what? What's really the case is you're not doing the things Christ has called you to do. I'm telling you, you want to fix 90% of marriages? Let both parties seek Christ in all things. See, the problem is we, we talk about contentment in God. We talk about contentment in Christ, and yet we never actually do anything about it. 
But Paul gives us this very clear meaning here. This very clear text. Paul says it doesn't matter if you're hungry. It doesn't matter if you're full. It doesn't matter if you're in need or you're hurting, you're tired or you're lonely. On and on and on the list go. You fill in the blank of all the things you're not content with. He said it doesn't matter where you are. You can find contentment in Christ. I want you to think about something as I finish up this one. I want you to ponder just for a second. Here's something I've been thinking about this week. Imagine, let's just, let's just use the church as an example. Let's not even go out into the world. Imagine the church. Imagine if the church, the people of the church, were able to find contentment in the things that they had currently in Christ right now. So in other words, everything you own now and everything that you have and everything God's blessed you with, that's all you ever need. If you could find your contentment there, I wrote down a few things. People wouldn't get themselves into huge, unmanageable debt because they would be content with what they have. How much debt have we raised because we are not content with the car we have or we're not content with the clothing we have? How much debt have we spent? How much money have we spent? Again, there's nothing wrong with nice things, but when we begin to find our contentment in the things of the world, we're always going to be disappointed. If we could find our contentment in Christ, people wouldn't leave churches because they would be content with the church they're in. People wouldn't have affairs because they'd be content in their marriages. On and on and on and on the list could go. If if we could find contentment in the things of Christ and not the things of the world, what a beautiful picture. Imagine how the world would look. Imagine how the church would look. Imagine how your life would look. So I want to leave you with this thought this morning, a challenge. As we walk into the Thanksgiving season here in just a few days, we walk into the Christmas season, and we're surrounded by so many things and so many blessings. Here's the challenge. Here's the question you ask yourself. Are you finding contentment in the things of the world, or are you finding contentment in the only place where it can truly be found in Jesus Christ? Because in Him there is contentment, and in Him there is hope. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again, Lord, for the, for the clarity of your word, for the teaching of Scripture, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would all examine our hearts very clearly about our level of contentment, Father. Father, if we're finding contentment in the things of the world, I, I pray that there would be repentance, Father. Forgive us. Forgive us for believing, Lord, that more things can lead to happiness and can lead to contentment, Father. Lord, if we're, if we're walking down the road of contentment already, trying to seek you, Father, I pray you would continue to bless us and continue to move us down that road so we can seek you, so we can find our contentment in you, Father. And over this, hol- this holiday season, Father, with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, Lord, I pray that we would focus on you. We'd move beyond the stuff and we'd focus on who you are and what you've done for us. And then I pray, Lord, through our contentment, we would have a joyous holiday season. Bless us in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a couple of minutes if you want to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray where you are or down here about your level of contentment, about priorities. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that's sick or hurting or in need. We're going to open up the altar for you to pray. Maybe you need to repent from your sins and turn to Christ for salvation. Or maybe you need to join this church. This is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.